This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, come on, just hit that button, man. This is episode number 40, and that means we're officially over the hill. In this episode, I sit down with Jacob Irving of Tonewood Brewing Company in Oakland, New Jersey. Jacob talks to me about how they had to deal with the effects of COVID, how they're about to open a way bigger brew house in Barrington, New Jersey, and how their name comes from a wood that's used to create acoustic and windwood instruments. That's right up my alley. Music, beer, that goes together like lamb and tuna fish. Or if you prefer, peanut butter and jelly. Maybe spaghetti and meatball. All this talk is making me hungry now. So I think I'm going to sit back, crack open a beer, eat a sandwich, and take a listen to this podcast. I think you should do the same. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Jacob Irving of Tonewood Brewing Company in Oakland, New Jersey. Brothers Eli and Taylor Fashini and cousin Jacob Irving all grew up together in New Jersey. When they were in their early 20s, they decided to give home brewing a try, and it soon became one of their favorite hobbies. Eli at some point decided to move to Colorado to experience the true ski life out west. While he was there, he wound up getting a job at Telluride Brewing Company in Telluride, Colorado. Since he already had a background in homebrewing, he fit right in and wound up becoming part of the production crew. When he moved back to New Jersey, he told Taylor and Jacob, who had continued to work on their homebrewing, that he saw what it takes to make a brewery work on a large scale. His plan was to either work at a brewery in New Jersey or to open a brewery of their own. With that in mind, the boys got to talking to family and friends, pitching the idea in hopes they get some seed money. After they succeeded with that, it was on to finding the right spot to open. And they did just that. And in June of 2016, they opened their family-owned business in Oakland, New Jersey, naming it Tonewood Brewing Company. And Jacob Irving is here with me today. Jacob, how are you doing, man? Going well. Good, good. Sunny March day. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a little chilly, but it's nice out. It's a good thing. It's getting warmer. Yeah. So, uh, how did you come up with the name Tonewood? I know that Tonewood refers to like a, a certain type of wood that has tonal properties good for like acoustic and woodwinds stuff like that um what what brought that name up for you guys the name was actually kind of one of the hardest parts of the brewery right. um, we had a bunch of different like ideas going on and nothing really seemed to jump out at us and uh yeah as you referred to tonewood refers to the, the wood that gets used to acoustic instruments and uh we're, you know, family-run business. Uh, we have a lot of ties to uh, live music. Just uh, We have an uncle who runs, like, a music festival. Um, everyone kind of has, like, a small collection of uh, vintage guitars going from, you know, Martins to Buckseller ones. And, uh, I mean, while the business plan is being written and we're trying to figure out how to pull off the brewery, we were kind of just hanging around outside, having some beers and uh, playing, you know, some instruments and... Uh, Taylor was just like, what about Tonewood? And uh, we just kind of kept running from there. We just thought there was a lot of different like uh, avenues we could run down with the branding with kind of trying to tie it back towards music and right. kind of that sense. Awesome. Yeah, music and beer. They go together really well together, you know? <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Kind of blend. So what was the, uh, like that 
that aha moment for for all of you when you finally came up with the idea like let's let's make this happen like when you finally started i know that there's always talk of people like we should open a brewery at some point but like what was that actual moment where like let's make this happen let's go full force with it uh well carol and i lived together in college and we were you know brewing beer um as a hobby um in our backyard and at that point we never really thought that it would you know aspire past that uh, but he liked when he moved back home and bringing back knowledge that he had of uh, production brewing seeing it large scale um, we've always kind of been people that wanted to be our own bosses or kind of not always follow like the corporate work model and right. it was just kind of an awesome opportunity like hey like we work hard like we have the knowledge like if we put in the work this, this could be something that could you know you know provide us to have like a, a living and, and kind of live off the, the skill that we've been practicing. Right. So, so more just, just being able to have that knowledge and one, wanting to have our own brewery. That was probably the, the moment. Right. Gotcha. So from, uh, from like the moment you started, you know, uh, making it happen, uh, to the moment you opened the door, what would you say was one of the hardest things, uh, in pursuit of opening your brewery? Probably the hardest part um, is just kind of the, the paperwork and just kind of the regulations that you're just trying to make everyone happy with, you know, townships to, um, you know, alcohol control board, um, being within zoning laws and just try to also orchestrate um, contractors and just kind of piling it all together um, was probably one was the harder part, you know, making the beer, being able to find, you know, where to get the ingredients, you know, shopping for the equipment. Um, those are kind of more of the fun, more enjoyable times. Right. Uh, but when you're getting down to figure out like, Hey, what does zoning look like for this and going to town meeting, that, that was kind of a little bit more of the challenging part. Right, right, right. So you guys opened in the summer of 2016. Uh, in yes. June, June of 2016, you opened your doors. Um, so you've been open for a pretty good stretch of time to build up your business and build up the groundwork. Um, when uh-huh. when COVID actually hit, um, how did that affect your business? And like, what moves were made to stay afloat during that time and make your business continue to work? Really scary time. To be yeah. Um, oh yeah. There was, uh, I mean, there was a solid week there where it was kind of hard to stay um, composed in front of like all the the team that we have. Right. There's just so much uncertainty. Um, but you know, we kind of took some time and tried to figure out, you know, how do we navigate through this? And um, immediately we started switching everything from, you know can or excuse me being packaged in kegs to to uh packaging everything in cans and starting to figure out how to pull on supply chains to ensure that we could have the proper amount of cans to uh move forward with packaging everything that forward um a lot of beer we ended up donating uh that was packaged in kegs to you know turn into hand sanitation um so that was nice and then spent a good amount of time just building out an online store to enable our customers to buy online and pick up at a later date. And that was super helpful. And um, we were able to have like a lot of 
successful launches of, of new beers. And we actually saw people making, you know, trips from farther out uh, at that time because they kind of had the ability to purchase online ahead of time and, and then they were able to pick it up and they, they knew they had that item and that they weren't driving down to us and, and you know, us selling out. Right, right, yeah. We were very fortunate, you know, we made those, those shifts and uh, we've been able to retain our entire staff throughout throughout everything and, and you know, expand the, the business further. Awesome. Did you have to let anybody go during that time or were you able to stay? Really, you know, keep everybody working? part time front of house staff. Okay. Which, um, they've always been really helpful and they're, and they're certainly welcome back. Um, you just, they already, you know, they all had jobs, which was nice. So we, it wasn't as if we were, you know, laying someone off or firing someone. They weren't able right. to support themselves. It was kind of the extra hands that we had for, for when we were operating the tasting room. Right, right, right. Well, that's good news, at least. But, yeah, all packaging, all production, sales and delivery staff are all, all still on board. Right. Well, pandemics, pandemics aside, when opening your business, what was something you never thought you were going to have to deal with? Uh, it's something a little bit that I didn't expect. Um, a lot of my focus kind of dealt more with, uh, you know, sales distribution and, and, um, I had a background in retail beforehand going into this. Okay. And something that surprised me was just how old school the business is for distribution for, for beer, alcohol, and, uh, wine. Uh, it really is something where, you, you know, your vendors or your customers, they, they expect to see your face every so often. And so that was something surprising to me, kind of going for something that was a little more high tech where we're processing payments fast or online shopping and assisting customers to, you know, really going out there and making sure that you're building rapport with your customers and, you know, picking up checks. I, I didn't expect it was going to still be that, that way when I came into, you know, the sales side of it. Right. Speaking of uh, picking picking up checks, um, how did you guys go about finding the capital to fund your business? When we started, uh, we had a business plan written and an idea and a passion, and we were able to get some seed money from some close family and friends. Uh, we also were able to get introduced to the right people to say yes, which was really nice. Right. Uh, we had an article written in like a local paper around us that uh, kind of just explained our story of how we were having trouble finding the right spot. And the mayor of Oakland, Mayor Forbes at the time, uh, his eyes came across this article and reached out to us personally. You know, I have this, this great building. Uh, we're looking to get, get it filled. Love for you to take a look at it. Um, and then he was able to introduce us to uh, get our SBA loan and that, that kind of set everything in motion there. Gotcha. What was one of the hardest adjustments you feel like you had to make when becoming a business owner? Yeah, just kind of being the person that, you know, and the time stress itself, you know, trying to make sure that, like, over-communicating to everyone. Right. And that's kind of not something I was used to at first, kind of being the person getting the communication to being, you know, hey, I have to make sure that everyone on the team knows what's going on with XYZ and kind of point which direction we want to go so everyone's kind of a little bit more filled in so just assuming everyone's going to know what I'm, what I'm thinking or what we're thinking. Right. And what, what qualities do you think you possess that make you a good business owner? I, 
always try to be like really open with anyone on my team. Okay. Um, it's very, it's, you know, you always want to give people feedback, both positive and negative. You know, if you see something or situation with the business that happened that you weren't, that you wanted to see differently, you know, you do want to make sure you talk to your employees and let them know like, Hey, I saw all this happen, but we need to go this way. And this is why I'm making sure that you're always making it, making them aware that you're trying to come from a good place of why you're telling them that we need to like course correct on something so they understand the value of it. But also like taking that time when you see something go well and making sure you share like that positive feedback as well. Not just always relying on giving people the, the negative news, but also like encouraging them when they have the positive news. Yeah, smart way of smart way of doing it. And yeah, coaching the good is always the, the, the best approach, in my opinion. Yeah. How do you define success? I think a lot of it has to kind of do with with love, right? Um, right. How much do you love something, or how much love is a product getting? Uh, am I happy with the quality of the product? Do I love the beer that we're making? Uh, do I love the customer's reaction, you know, the customers are very excited about it and with that a good time. Like, I kind of want to also match that excitement. So I think that's where I would measure success, really. How do I feel, like, you know, myself outside the brewery? Do I like the life? Do I like the product that we're making? Do I like the environment, the team that we've been able to support? And uh, watching everyone's reaction, seeing them be happy and excited about everything I think love is a big part of it. Right, right. Was there anybody when you were um, coming up in the in the industry? Was there anybody that actually um, inspired you, uh, like from other breweries? Um, just uh, for me, I, I come right, really much more from from retail, so like the whole brewing thing. Um, I can't point out a specific brewer, uh, but I guess a major influence for us, you know, um, when we first started, the book that we got was, you know, The, the Joy of Homebrewing by Charlie, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounced his name, but Papi, Papazin. Okay, yes. Um, you know, he was leader of the, the Brewers Association for, for 40 years, and from, you know, when we first picked up that book, and uh, we started brewing our own beer, to being at, you know, Great American Beer Festival and and seeing him walk around, it was kind of a very surreal moment. So, you know, it, it was very surreal to kind of like take a book that he took and take the information and, you know, absorb it and build a business to a, and getting to see him walk around at a, an event that, you know, he's been a huge part of. Uh, that was, yeah, I would say Charlie was a big inspiration. Right, right. It's awesome. Um, and I know, uh, it's a, it's a lot of work being uh, a business owner and, uh, constantly being there, making sure the business is run correctly. Um, how important is a mental break for you from, from it all? Uh, for me, I'm kind of the type of person that, uh, if I have like a day off, I'm, I'm happy to kind of wind down, but. I, I love going in and, and, and being a part of the brewery. Um, I want to be in there. I want to help work. I love picking up extra shifts, helping out. 
making sure everything's running smoothly. It's definitely good to have your downtime to, you know, mentally reset and not kind of get burned out with everything. Right, right. Uh, but I've also found myself uh, also happier when I'm in the trenches with, with, with everyone. If it's, if it's helping out on the packaging line or, or helping out getting, you know, grain because the delivery got missed or if it's, uh, helping out, you know, serving beers to the retail staff because, you know, don't call it out. Uh, I'm always one who wants to jump in and, and be first man to help out. Right. And over the, uh, you're about to hit your, your five year anniversary coming up in June. Right. Yep. Uh, what do you say? What do you think's been the biggest change in the last five years in your mind in the in the brewing industry alone? A much more hyperized local uh, attention compared to more of like your national regional brands. Okay. When I first started getting into uh, you know drinking more craft beers, you know the big ones around us were you know Yards in Philly, Victory, Trogues, uh, Flying Fish. You know, those are kind of the main craft names. Right. Um, for the area of Jersey that we're in now, um, the list can go over, you know, over 10 breweries with, you know, us, uh, Double Nickel and Pensalkin, uh, Kate Mays, another big brewery that's uh, been expanding throughout the state. Um, it, it's kind of, it's all the attention I feel has gone more towards hyper local than more of the bigger brands that have been around. That's probably the biggest change I've, I've say I've seen. Right. Yeah, that's what I hear a lot. A lot of people are just saying that it's like the the amount of breweries that are uh, open now. It's. I mean, is it? Is it? Do you feel like it's? Uh, I know. Probably back then it was like these are the big ones, and it's easier for them because locally they have not a lot of competition. Do you feel like there's a big competition now? And if so, how do you stay ahead of your competition? That's certainly part of it is, you know, with more breweries opening up in your backyard, it, it, it is certainly competition. However, the way I like to think about it is if everyone around us is making good beer, that only helps each other out because, you know, we have like our, you know, our markets in our hometowns and, you know, surrounding areas. And we have like those customers that I would call it like a promoter who's, you know, speaking very well of your brewery. Um, and if everyone around us is doing well, it only helps attract, you know, people from outside this area to come and visit us. Right. You know, we might be able to attract someone from New York or outside of Philly or, you know, Delaware that, you know, like, hey, we want to go check out some breweries. This area I heard has a bunch of cool ones. So it just kind of helps also bring in more people. Like I said, we could, I could say, you know, more breweries open around me or, or hurting my business or I could say like, Hey, if everyone's doing well, you know, this helps bring in other people to our area that wouldn't have visited here otherwise. And I think that's a little bit more of the focus I try to, to make sure that I put my attention to. Right. This is my favorite question that I always ask. Um, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? So yes. I was trying to think myself. Um, and I couldn't quite time it to figure out which one came first, but it would either be uh, Yards Pale Ale okay. or uh, Allagash White. It was right around those two. I, I think it may have been Yards. That was the first brew I was 
you know, I was able to fit in and I thought that pair was delicious. But I think having uh, an Al- having Allagash White was one of the times that really just like, I didn't know beer could taste in that sort of fashion. Right. Um, you know, I was always kind of like, oh, hoppy, bitter. Um, but to be able to get a taste of that beer and then start to go like, oh, well, what else is the style? Like, where does this, where else can this go? And those two were definitely two gateway beers for me. Right. Yeah. Um, what's up? One home brewing tip that you'd want to pass on to somebody? Use the soda kegs. <laughs> they are uh, so much easier. I mean, we would collect uh, brown bottles for for months, and then, I mean, our first couple batches of doing homebrew, it, it was, you know, we were just sitting there scraping off labels, trying to keep the uh, yep. glass clean. <laughs> and when we made the switch to a, to a soda keg, it was just so much easier, not only to keep the vessel clean, uh, but also for carbonation. And right. I think that's when we started to notice a difference pretty quickly uh, in the quality of beer that we were able to produce. You know, there's a whole bunch of other things that go along the way, but that was, I know we, we ponied up and, and bought a soda keg. We, we were able to notice a, a pretty quick difference in the quality. Right, right. So, you guys are um, about to open in uh, Barrington, correct? Correct, yes. Barrington. You're, you're going to have a 30-barrel brew house. Um, mm-hmm. My first question is, how much thought process goes into all of this? Because this, this seems to be like a huge, huge uh, change for you guys from your first brewery. Um, and how did they all come about and was there just like a constant think tank like you know what we should do now or like what was the whole thought process behind the whole project and also uh what does the future look like for you guys right so early on we were having trouble finding a space uh pretty early and we essentially thought there's two roads we could go down with being a brewery we could focus on the tasting room or just, you know, uh, sales of beer directly over the bar, more brew pub style, smaller footprint, um, or we could focus more on production size facility. Still be able to, you know, still do retail and build that, you know, brand recognition and brand loyalty. Um, but focus more on, let's make this a product that's more available, like where we're at bars and restaurants and uh, liquor stores. Right. And the space that we were able to find in Oakland fit uh, the footprint to go production-based. Uh, so the plan was to do it that way. And when we saw the building, we saw that we had the space to grow into. Um, and there was potential to perhaps maybe even uh, grow past that building or you know expand that building out. And uh, I think around the first couple of years, we... We saw it growing faster than we expected. We, we anticipated growth, uh, mm. but we were seeing growth uh, faster than, than we thought was than it was going to happen. So we, you know, tried to see if there was an option to purchase the building that we were in, or is there something available where we can expand? And uh, at that time, it's around 2018, uh, there was a lumber yard built in the late 1800s. 
Okay. In Barrington, and uh, the gentleman uh, who owned it also a family-run like uh, lumber business that grew out of Camden and um, pretty historic uh, business based out in downtown Barrington. And uh, we saw that building, and we just we fell in love. We we thought it was a perfect lineup, you know, with it being a whole lumber yard, and our our branding kind of goes with the wood that goes into right, right. Yeah. Uh, their family loved our story. They know that they knew that we didn't want to rip down the building or, you know, use it to, you know, build something else. We, we wanted to make adjustments to make it a brewery, but we just thought that when we saw it, we, we were like, this is, this is it. And, uh, so we're, uh, we're getting tanks delivered this week. I'm not sure when we'll launch this out or not, but, uh, Moving towards hopefully being able to produce beer in, in the facility by summertime, hopefully open up by fall. But we we, we don't want to set a date yet just because there's still a, a handful of hurdles ahead of us that we just don't want to have a date line and not fall fall up on at the right time. Gotcha. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what this looks like, and I'm uh, definitely interested in making a trip there. When all said, when all, let me know when you're coming by. Yeah, when all said and done, I'd love to see it. Um, so, if somebody came to you and uh, asked you for advice for opening their own brewery, which I'm sure they do often, uh, what would you tell them? It's definitely something that you want to go all in on. At the time when we first opened, Eli and Taylor were focusing on it full time. I was doing half retail, half retail sales for the brewery. Uh, working for another company outside that and I was making it happen uh, but it, it was much easier when I was, I was like you know what I'm all in on this as well right? and just putting out you know putting in the full you know a great work week would be if 40 hours a week cut it but you know sometimes you know you gotta pull 80 hour work weeks and, and you really have to dedicate to just going into something full speed and facing whatever challenges arise from it and not make it just, you know, I think that's where it, it, it elevated from being a hobby to being a profession was that we're, we're putting all of our time and energy into this thing and we're going to see it through the end no matter what. Right. Gotcha. Well, uh, did you happen to have a funny story for us? Uh, my funny story was uh, Atlantic City Beer Fest. Uh, I think it was the last one that they had. Uh, there's multiple sessions throughout each one. You know, there's the Friday night, and then there's two Saturday mornings. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's always a, a party of this, this thing. But uh, anyway, they had a, they essentially check everyone's ID, and they have a, a holding section in the conference center before they open up the gates and let everyone run through the festival ground. Okay. And, uh they got the guy on the loudspeaker trying to hype up the crowd and get everyone excited. And I saw that as an opportunity to go try to rile up the crowd myself. So, uh, <laughs> we had this, uh, homemade t-shirt cannon. And, uh, so I'm loading up a t-shirt. I have it all pumped, pumped up of air and I'm running back and forth trying to get the crowd excited. Got them doing wave, have them cheering one side versus the other. So you want to get the t-shirt. <laughs> And uh, I finally yeah, got everyone riled up. I go off, the, hit the, I hit the pump, the, the t-shirt's out, and it turned out the, the pump that I had was broken. So I had all these people all hyped up. They're super <laughs> excited. I go to hit the button, and nothing happens, and everyone just starts 
booing me. And it was loud. I don't know how many people are allowed in these sessions. But it, it felt it felt like a full stadium of people just booing me. Like I just missed an empty net shot at the last minute to win the game. So that was uh oh, I just sit there and just eat that one and uh uh, it, it's somewhere on the internet, but I'll never, uh, I'll never forget that one. Yeah, epic. Put that one for the team. <laughs> Pretty epic. I'll have to. I don't know if you mind if I find that and put that up on social media or not, but yeah, that's fine. That that's actually really funny. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. It's just uh, all right. Let's do it. Five quick questions, beer related. Here we go. Uh, one of your beers that you'd recommend someone try? Uh, we've been doing a whole bunch of Wild Ale series. Uh, there's Labrares, Brambillon, uh, just fruited Wild Ales that are in, uh, you know, your 750 milliliter bottles. Uh, not a seltzer beer, but certainly something where if you like fruited beers, like Christian or Freshman, I want that to try. Okay. Uh, favorite brewery other than your own? I'm going to have to say Yards, because it was the first one I went to, and it was when I connected the whole love of like being able to go visit the place where the beer is produced and that, that, that was a special spot in my heart. Right. Uh, favorite style of beer? Pilsner. Pilsner. Okay. Barrel aged, imperial, or both? I guess both. Why not? Both. Double down. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I say. And, uh, you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? I'll guess white, but you'll probably have to send the second keg. Send the second keg? All right. Good, good <laughs> yeah. enough for me. I can drink that for days. Yeah, man. Well, uh, Jacob, that's all I got for you, man. Cool. Hey, it was nice chatting with you, and uh, keep the faith, protect the brotherhood. Appreciate it, man. Will do. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew okay. World Daughter Podcast. Here with Jacob Irving of Tonewood Brewing Company in Oakland, New Jersey. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Jacob Irving of Tonewood Brewing Company in Oakland, New Jersey. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Also, give him a follow on social media while you're at it. Every other Sunday, we'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, give us a follow on social media, because it's just the right thing to do. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.